Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is sports dietitian Amy Goblersch, who specializes in helping runners break free from dieting and learn how to listen to and trust their bodies again. Our conversation today is all about busting the myth that you need to be lighter to be faster. We're going to talk about underfueling, the end result of chronic underfueling, something called Red S, Relative Energy Deficiency Syndrome, red flags for if you might be underfueling, and what to do if you think you might need help. Amy, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks, Elizabeth. I'm excited to chat with you all things about like underfueling when it comes to running. <laughs> so before we get started in our topic, tell us about yourself, your history. How did you become a runner and how did you end up as a dietitian? I was definitely on the side of like running wasn't fun in high school. I participated in cross country track. Don't think I was very good at it. And I didn't enjoy it. And then I started running a lot more in college, signed up for my first marathon, and just got the bug at that point. And so have been running so much. And my story to becoming a dietitian probably isn't very typical. I am a huge Iowa State fan. So I knew I wanted to go to Iowa State for college. And I was browsing their majors because I figured I should pick something before I go. And I was reading about dietetics and it just really piqued my interest because I love to help people and it was still kind of in the medical field, but wasn't a nurse or a doctor. And I had always been interested in food, nutrition. And so it just kind of hit like all the marks of everything I was interested in. Well, I think all registered dietitians understand kind of the basics of athletic nutrition. It really is a specialty in the way that even physicians specialize in their own field. Sports dietitians are specialists in their field as well, right? 100%. You know, it's kind of like you mentioned, like if you're having knee pain, you probably want to go see an orthopedic doctor, not go to a cardiologist. It's kind of similar with dietitians. And I feel like when I work with individuals, a lot of times they're like, I love that you're a runner, you know about running, so you can help me with day-to-day nutrition, but you can also help me with the fueling side to make sure I'm supporting what I'm asking my body to do. So today we're talking about underfueling and like broadly what that encompasses, and specifically we're going to be talking about um, Red S, which is relative energy deficiency syndrome. So I'm as a running coach, you know, I'm qualified to talk on a variety of topics and always trying to teach myself more based on the research that's out there. But one of the topics that I really intentionally try not to get involved in at all is people who are trying to lose weight or asking for advice on how much they should eat and really under fueling is far more common than overfueling, overeating in athletes specifically. And undereating, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is bad for your performance and can be very dangerous for your health. Just do you want to talk about your experience and how prevalent you see underfueling in athletes? I see it. I hear about it, especially following so many runners on Instagram and vice versa, them following me, asking questions like, it's like there is this fear about overfueling that for a lot of individuals can cause underfueling because they are so scared of overeating, not wanting to gain weight, feeling like that is going to impact their performance in a negative way, that it's like vice versa. And sometimes with runners, you can't always trust your hunger cues, your fullness cues. There are times when you need to eat, even if you're not hungry to support your training, like what you're asking your body to do, especially if you're training for a marathon or a a bigger distance, you know, sometimes that isn't enough to support your needs. So what are some of the red flags or signs that somebody might be under fueling? 
What signs that they're noticing is that they might just feel like they're having trouble recovering from a run. So that it's taking days, they do their long run, and you know, it's days later and they're still feeling tired, their legs, their muscles still maybe hurting just a little bit. And then there's the more severe signs like dehydration, gastrointestinal issues, so like bloating, discomfort, maybe even some IBS type symptoms. And then of course, for females, like losing your cycle is a big sign that you are not eating enough to support what you're asking your body to do. That's really interesting that you said that gastrointestinal symptoms can be a sign of underfueling in general, like just not eating enough, because this seems like one of those really dangerous slippery slopes where a runner is eating the way they would normally eat, experiencing gastrointestinal issues, whether on the run or just kind of in general, feeling bloated, feeling sluggish, having constipation or diarrhea. And then so they think, well, it must be something I'm eating. So they start restricting and they're eating at specific times. And then of course it, it, it happens more and more and more. Why does under eating slow down or influence how our digestion works? Well, you were right with slowing down. Like that's a big part of it is that there's not enough energy. So your body is trying to conserve the energy, which can cause digestion to slow. So maybe food is sitting a little bit longer in your stomach, having that bloating, discomfort. And then of course, yeah, like I said, the IBS type symptoms, whether it's constipation, diarrhea, that can occur because of that. What about for runners who are saying, well, I'm not under fueling, but I do practice intermittent fasting. And so I'm entering my runs in a fasted state or I'm not, I'm fasting after I run. Like that is also something we want to avoid. Exactly. I've worked with a few runners who have followed intermittent fasting before. And it's hard because sometimes you might need to be doing your long run fasted or you've even gone so many hours prior to that without eating that your body is still in this negative spot per se, and you need to get out of it before you, you know, you have the run because you're almost digging yourself even deeper and either your pre-run, your post-run, all of that can be impacted if it's not within that eating window that you're allowing yourself. A big part of why a lot of runners, especially runners who start running later in life, find running to begin with is because they want to lose weight. And so they begin running as part of their weight loss program, whether they're also intentionally eating in a calorie deficit or not. A lot of people associate running with weight loss or weight management. Can running and weight loss coexist? It can in a very, I don't know, controlled environment is the right way to say. But I will say that while you're building up for a marathon training cycle, that is never the time to focus on weight loss. If you focus on making those small manageable changes that might lead to changing how your body looks, it's it, but it's better off to do it when you're in the off season, not when you're in a training cycle, when you're asking so much of your body already. There is a subset of runners who are intentionally training in a calorie deficit. They believe that being smaller will make them faster. And part of the topic of this episode is the myth of racing weight. Basically that this whole thing thing that you need to have a racing weight, which is your lightest so that you can be your fastest. And tell us where did this myth come from and why it's so dangerous, especially not saying it's not dangerous for men, but especially for women to try to achieve some sort of racing weight in order to be their fastest. I think it gets really complicated because a lot of individuals will look at elite runners and thinking like, look at them, like, look how fast they can run. And then realizing like, if I want to run that faster, if I want to get faster, I need to change my body to look more like them. So I need to be my lightest, my fittest in order to hit that PR or VQ, whatever it might be. But I think something that 
we don't always think about is that genetics plays a huge part in why elites look the way that they do. And so unfortunately, not everyone can, you know, has that going for them. And so it just gets really complicated when trying to look that way. But, you know, you have other factors that are making it more difficult and probably impossible because I know myself, I could never get to that level. And if I did, which I've tried to, like, I'll be honest, like I used to be in the mindset that I needed to be smaller, lighter to be faster. And I will tell you, I was running some of my worst times. I'm heavier now, but I'm also a lot stronger and I run a heck of a lot faster that I did at that lower weight. And it just goes to show that weight is not the only factor. It's just so much, you know, weight gets put on it type of thing. And recently, there have been a lot of stories or information coming out from places like University of Oregon and the coaches there focusing on athlete body fat percentages as one of the performance metrics that they were trying to achieve. And especially for developing athletes, athletes who are not yet fully mature adults, right? Athletes who are in their teens and their 20s, but all of us really, it's dangerous to think that being your skinniest, being your leanest, having the lowest possible body fat percentage is what's going to make you a stronger athlete. Because there have been so many athletes over the years, and Ali Ostrander and even Molly Seidel and Hat saying, I had an eating disorder. I had multiple stress fractures. I think Ali Ostrander is still trying to figure out if she can still continue a running career because of the pervasive idea that you need to be super skinny to be super fast. And recreational runners, I don't think quite realize how much this messaging is internalized just in the sport itself. Right. And it really is just from like what you see or when you see even someone on Instagram posting, maybe it's even like posting a side by side and feeling like, oh, I got faster. But I also like look at how my body changed when maybe they were started doing harder speed workouts. They worked with a new coach that completely changed it. But a lot of the focus is on how they look versus, you know, for that time thing too. And I will say too, like there is a racing weight calculator out there and it's not helpful. Like I like, I went to it just to like be able to say like how damaging it can be and to put it in and how much weight it said I needed to lose. I'm like, I would have to be eating less than 1200 calories a day. I would have to try and run way more than I am. It's not attainable. And not only the damage it would be doing internally to my body, but the psychological damages that it would cause too, it is not worth it. I I get a lot of messages asking about how to lose weight while running. The flip side of the argument is, well, somebody who is overweight, shouldn't they try to lose weight to become a faster runner? I'm never one to say whether somebody should or should not lose weight. That is a personal decision for them they're going to lose weight, I would hope they would do it in a safe and healthy way. What do you have to say if a runner comes to you and says, I want to lose weight? What what is that conversation like? First, I like to look at, you know, what are you training for? Asking them what they're training for and asking what is most important to you right now? Do you want to really fuel your body, support that training, hit that goal time? Or do you feel like weight loss is your number one goal right now? And I think it's also digging into like, what is the reasoning behind the weight loss? Like, are you wanting to feel more confident about yourself? Because let me tell you, you can feel that way. You can get that confidence because, you know, there's so many times people will say like, oh, I thought I needed to lose like five, 10 pounds in order to find my confidence. And then they lose the weight and it's still not the, still not there. So it sparks the feeling of, okay, I guess I need to lose even more weight when it's when you really need to just change how you think about your body and really accepting your body as it is and accept that your body can change. Like that is normal. Sometimes for people who think, oh, I just need to lose that last five pounds and last 10 pounds, and that's when it's going to make me happy and fastest. Going through an intentional calorie deficit while training can, one, actually preferentially hold on to adipose tissue in that situation, but also 
it can boomerang on you in that it's one of those kind of short term high risk situations where, yeah, you may achieve this goal weight by under eating and over training for a very short period of time. Your body is really good at surviving and it is always going to boomerang back on you, whether it is diet related, whether it's training related. Like if you don't take the rest that you need, your body will force you to take the rest. If you don't eat the food you need at some point, your body will force you to eat the food that you need. Right. So, you know, our bodies are pretty good at living. (laughs) It's really hard when people are describing cravings or binging or constant endless hunger. That actually might be signs of underfueling as well. Definitely. And a lot of times with restricting is that the binging follows because you can only restrict for so long before the cravings, aka what your body is trying to save you from starvation, gets so intense and you feel like it's lack of willpower when it's really your body trying to save you and trying to like help you out of this restriction. Now, To be fair, I mean, intense training does mess with our hunger hormones and our hunger signaling and intense exercise does require us to eat more in general. Do you want to explain kind of the the relationship between intense exercise, hunger, why you might not be hungry after a long run, why you are more hungry, maybe on a rest day or just when you're going through an intense training cycle so people can understand, you know, hey, this is normal. Yes, it is so normal and something that maybe you didn't even realize before, but like after your long runs, after hard workouts, because of different hormone shifting and blood flow shifting away from your GI system, it can cause you to maybe feel not as hungry, nauseous even, like your appetite is just MIA and it's a normal thing that happens. But that is a time that you can't just listen to your body that, you know, you know what, I just ran 15 miles, like, I need to refuel so that my body has the tools it needs to recover, rebuild and be ready to go that next day. And maybe if that next day is a rest day, the hunger can hit you later, especially if you didn't refuel enough. Or sometimes even if you did, it's just that extra hunger hits you. And it can be really confusing, especially if you're in that dieting, having to earn your food mindset, because you're struggling with thinking, I'm not working out, I shouldn't eat as much, when in reality, you're feeling twice as hungry as the day you did that 15 mile long run. And that's a very confusing thing for a lot of runners in the various kind of ways that we frame diet culture is that intuitive eating, listen to your hunger cues, the intuitive eating is kind of branded as this like, well, just listen to your body and eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. But if you're doing things like intense training for whatever race, or maybe you're in some sort of base building, or you started doing more strength training, like you may not be able to rely purely on your signals of hunger and fullness, even if you had been in tune with those previously. 100%. That's a time when what I like to say, like practical fueling comes into play. Just like during long runs, not everyone gets hungry, but that doesn't mean you don't, you shouldn't take your gels or your chews during the run. And it's just like after a run, even if you're not hungry for two to three hours after the run, that doesn't mean you wouldn't benefit from having something a little bit sooner. Aside from kind of like under eating in general, uh, is that they running fasted, not fueling on runs, especially long runs, and then not eating post-run thinking that it's going to increase the fat burning time or something after a run. Um, This is bad. And this is again one of those boomerang effects. Um, Do you want to explain a little bit about what happens to our body when we are exercising in a fasted state versus a fueled state? So a lot of runners, especially long distance runners, think that running fasted is a great thing because it's forcing your body to turn to fat once the carbohydrates are utilized that you had stored and to use that for to fuel your body. So thinking of that as like the gasoline for your car, but your body isn't as efficient as utilizing fat for fuel. So thinking of it as like putting diesel into your gas car. It's just not going to run as well versus when you give your body its preferred source. So especially those carbohydrates, it can work a little bit 
less on burning that for fuel and more energy can go to like powering your legs, powering your muscles for that run. One of the things I talk about a lot is that running fasted elevates cortisol beyond where it typically should be. And I don't think that runners understand the danger of chronically elevated cortisol, notwithstanding the fact that running in a fasted state sucks is that you'll bonk eventually <laughs> and just feel like you're running through a concrete ocean. But then it makes recovering harder. It makes everything harder. Like you're making your body work harder than it needs to in recovering from these efforts. Exactly. I always, I don't always like to talk a ton about like calories or anything, but sometimes it can be helpful to think like if you burned these 1200 calories on the run, you're in the negative. And so it takes even more to build back and get out of the negative versus if you had a little something before you utilized your fuel during the run and it can help you feel better during the run, like you had mentioned, but after as well, because your body actually has something in it. You know, we've been programmed to think that calorie burning is good. Negative calories are good. The calorie deficit is the goal. I mean, as a dietitian, I'm sure you've probably had clients come to you who are like dangerously under eating. Definitely. A lot of it goes back to like being unhappy about their body, like how it looks, how it's performing, and just feeling fatigued all the time, not just on the run, not just after the run, but it just seems like it's 24-7, just feeling fatigued, like no energy for anything in life. And I feel like so much of it goes back to like a dieting history. Again, we're not going to talk specifically about these are the calories you should be eating because everybody's a little bit different, but 1200 calories a day is not enough for any runner, period. No. No, no. <laughs> Unless you are a toddler. <laughs> I always love those things. Everyone has probably seen it on like social media, Instagram, like 1200 calories is a, the equivalent of what a toddler needs. It is so true. And I, you know, something to think about, again, not going a lot into calorie amounts is that on average, most women are going to burn 1400 calories if they were to lay in bed doing absolutely nothing. Like that is for organ functioning, what is burned with breathing, like it's just what would happen. So it's like you're trying to then eat 1200 calories, which doesn't even meet like your body functioning, but now you're adding running you're adding your day-to-day -day activities. If you have children that you need to chase around all day, like all those extra things, like it's not surprising, like why they're feeling fatigued or having other symptoms as well. But what about for runners who say, but if I eat anywhere above 1200 calories or 1400 calories or 1500 calories, like a low number, right? That's still, they're still very low calorie counts. They say, as soon as I eat more than that, I start to gain weight immediately. I guess I just have one of those really slow metabolisms. I have to eat that little or else I gain weight. Part of it is their body is probably used to it. Their body is slowing down. The metabolism is slowing down per se, just because your body, again, is trying to conserve as much energy. Your body doesn't want to starve. But I would also think about is part of it mentally as well. You know, like your weight, you could weigh yourself every hour and probably get a different weight every single hour, every single day. And so knowing like what else is going on and not just automatically assuming that a change in weight is weight gain or like fat gain per se. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, this is super awkward. There's a flamingo in my office and he, what, what's that? Oh, hey. Oh, it's Carl from Gooder Sunglasses. What's up, Carl? What are you doing here? I can tell him. Oh, awesome. I'm so excited about this. Carl says, I can tell you, I am officially partnering up with Gooder Sunglasses. Gooder is now a sponsor of this podcast. And I like, I can't even tell you how excited I am about this. Gooder Sunglasses are quite honestly, one of my most essential pieces of running gear. If you've ever seen a picture of me running, I'm probably wearing Gooder Sunglasses in that picture. Aside from the fact that they're only $25, which is like a deal, they're also polarized, no slip, no bounce, they look good, and they have the best 
names. The very first pair I ever bought, and I have I have a lot of them. The very first pair I ever bought, the color is Sunbathing with Wizards. They're like a gray-blue color. And I just picked up a pair of I'm Wearing Burgundy, which are burgundy, by the way, because it's fall, and I like to wear my sunglasses in seasonally appropriate colors. <laughs> Enough about me. Now you can get your own pair of Gooder sunglasses, or every pair of Gooder sunglasses, 15% off using code RUNEXP. You can support the podcast, you can look awesome, you can save money, and with the holidays right around the corner, you can even buy them for yourself or other people as stocking stuffers or as gifts for your best running friends. So 15% off on Gooder.com. That's code RUNEXP, R-U-N-E-X-P, on Gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com. Look good, run gooder. All right, Carl, get out of here. I have to get back to the show. Yeah, I mean, especially for women, but men too. Weight can fluctuate not only just within the day. I mean, I know I've done this too. Like my weight can fluctuate a couple pounds in a day and then pounds, uh, plural, over the course of a month just because that's just how things go between hormone fluctuations and you know how much I'm exercising and water weight and what I've eaten. And just in general, it is normal for your weight to fluctuate. Oh, 100%. I think that's something a lot of people don't take into consideration is how much it can change day to day and just automatically see the scale go up, feel those feelings of failure, you know, just not feeling good and automatically having those thoughts of like, what did you eat? Or you need to go on a diet. You need to stop doing this so that it doesn't continue with that pattern. I had somebody ask me recently, because I shared another post about gaining weight, quote unquote, during marathon training, like what it actually means is that it's mostly water weight, maybe some muscle mass, you know, you're not, you're not like gaining pounds and pounds of fat during marathon training. If the scale goes out, it's because of the training that you're doing. But I had somebody ask me if it was worth it to train for a marathon, if they were going to gain weight. And like if the fear of gaining weight for any reason is preventing you from doing things that you want to do, it's time to actually talk to a professional. Oh, <laughs> so many thoughts about that. And it is true. It's like, is the fear of weight gain, like holding you back from living your life, whether it's like, oh, I don't want to gain those pounds if I would marathon train, or is it even holding you back from going out and enjoying ice cream with your friends? Like, you know, that fear of waking shouldn't, shouldn't prevent you from like living and enjoying your life. And I think that's something too, like, I'm glad you mentioned like a mental health professional, especially if somebody is suffering from an eating disorder, it's not just meeting with a dietitian. It's not just meeting with the medical provider. It is having a whole team to help you with it because there is such a huge mental component behind it. And the end result of underfueling is, like I mentioned before, something called relative energy deficiency syndrome or red S. It used to be called the female triad back when they thought that it only affected female athletes, <laughs> but we know it affects athletes of who are male or female. And this is this is like the end result. This is the end of the road. And but you don't get there overnight, right? Relative energy deficiency syndrome is something that occurs along a spectrum. But some of the huge, huge red flags are lost period and repeated stress fractures. Like as soon as I hear a runner tell me either of those things, like all of my alarm signals go up. I'm like, this is a problem. This is an immediate problem. Definitely. And I think it's important too to know that especially like loss of cycle is so big but there's also cardiac abnormalities, there's low heart rates, muscle cramps, weakness, fatigue. There are so many different types of warning signs. And again, you shouldn't feel like you have to be like on the check mark, like, okay, I, oh, I don't have this one. Like I must be okay. Like, because your body might just be responding in a little bit of a different way. What are some of the other signs that people might think like, oh, this is just a part of hard training. And you're like, actually, that's not a normal thing to experience. Well, like I said, like muscle cramps, weakness, fatigue, dehydration. And again, going back to the GI issues too, is going to be a sign. 
which I think like you had mentioned can be challenging because it's like, okay, I GI issues. Did I eat something new? Is it my stomach just didn't react like well on this run? Or is it just still kind of suffering from the run earlier in the day, but repeated throughout all throughout the day is going to be signs that something just quite isn't right. And that is how your body is responding. Another one that I, I thought was really interesting was hair loss. If you're losing a lot of hair, that is a sign. It's interesting to me how many of these, the signs and symptoms of red S are basically the signs of anorexia. Your body is starving and we just ignore it as like a part of being a runner. It's not normal to lose your period. It is not normal to have repeated stress fractures. It is not normal, you know, to always feel like you're living under a fog to have, you know, a blanket of fatigue. It is not normal to have your performance times get worse and worse, the harder and harder that you train. Right. And I think it's so true, especially losing your cycle. You may think, oh, elite athletes, they're running hundreds, you know, hundred mile weeks. They are most likely not losing their cycle. They're still having it. And it can be hard because you might think like, oh, good, don't need to deal with that. <laughs> like it's going to be so much nicer but it's literally your body conserving energy. And it's not just, oh, I'm not having my cycle. It is then what is going on with your bones because you're not having your cycle. Like are so many nutrients being pulled out that you're now going to have issues with osteoporosis. And, you know, it's just, there's so much more going on when you lose your cycle because of, you know, high exercise and underfueling. So what about for a runner who's listening to this episode and saying, now that I think about it, I actually think I, I have been under fueling, but you know, the thought of eating more is a little scary to me. You know, I'm not used to that. I'm not quite sure where to start. Should I eat more before my run? Where do I fit in extra food? You know, do you have any recommendations for kind of the baby steps that runners might take if they want to start adding more fueling? I think it would be important and not just because I'm a dietitian that helps runners, but to get some help and get some support with it as well so that you can talk to someone about your feelings. Someone can guide you through this increase and it's not saying you now need to go ahead and eat 700 more calories a day. That probably isn't going to happen, at least for most runners, but doing it in a slow, manageable way, but in a way that is also going to help you get get out of like having those symptoms from reds or, or eating disorder, whatever that might be. What about for a runner who says, I just run like five or six miles a week. I can eat in a deficit, right? I can eat as little as I feel like eating because I'm not training for a specific performance goal. But you're still asking your body to do things, right? You might think, oh, it's not, it's not 30 miles a week, but you know what? Those five to six miles like, what else are you doing? Are you on your feet a lot for your job? Or do you run that little? But are you lifting so heavy that you are maybe burning more than what you think? And how are you feeling? Like, are you really enjoying being in that calorie deficit? Or would you like to get to a place where you can eat in a more sustainable way? You don't have to count. You don't have to like measure out how many grams are in that food and just being able to listen to your body, understand what it's asking for. And of course, trusting your body's like hunger cues. That's something I don't think a, a lot of runners really understand is that very few of us sleep and run, right? Like I, you know, I work with runners who have very active jobs who not only run, but also do a lot of other activities during the week, you know? So you might think, well, you know, I'm not really running that much, but you're super active during the day. You have all these other hobbies. It's about the kind of the holistic, you have to feel your life. I mean, I harp on this in like a, don't you want to feel your, so you can run really well. Don't you want to run faster? You need to eat more to do that. But it's about like fueling your entire life, not just your running. Exactly. Because like you said, most people don't just run and then that, then they just hang out on the couch the rest of the day. Like they have active jobs or they have kids that keep them on their feet, whatever it might be. And just to be able to be present and not be like, no, I have to, I can't say yes. Like I have a long run. I know I'm going to be on the couch like the rest of the day. Like I had a client that that was their life. Like their kids would want to go to the park and they're like, 
no, 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 mom had our long run. Like, we're just going to hang out inside. And when we started making some small manageable changes, like completely changing up how she fueled after a long run, she's like, wow, I don't feel so crappy after my long runs. Like, yeah, I'm a little tired, but I'm not fatigued like I was before. That's a huge thing I don't think a lot of people realize. And I used to run. I mean, I've talked about this before in a couple other episodes. Like, I used to run fasted. I used to be a, a, a really big low-carb adherent and basically ran me into the ground. I wasn't eating in a deficit, but I wasn't eating any carb and I wasn't fueling on my runs and I was running 60 miles a week. And it catches up with you eventually. But one of the things I didn't, I didn't realize until I started eating properly is that you shouldn't feel like you're dying after a long run. <laughs> really, I, I thought it was normal to run 12 miles, 14 miles, 16 miles without any fuel. And then of course I wouldn't eat afterwards because I wasn't hungry. And then I thought it would be normal to feel horrifically bad for the rest of the day or even into the next days. I thought that was something that every runner experienced and I thought it was normal and it is so not normal. It basically goes back to what you said at the beginning of our conversation that if you're feeling really bad for a couple of days after your run, like that's a sign you need to eat more either in general or on your run. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. This is, I had, I ran 10 miles today and my husband made a comment. He's like, yeah, I feel like you don't get as exhausted as like, he's like, this was years ago, but like you would not want to move. And I'm like, yeah, because I was dieting. I was counting calories. I wasn't eating because I wasn't hungry, AKA doing everything I preach not to do anymore. So it's like, just like you, it's like, I've, I've been there too, thinking like that was the right thing to do. And now looking back, I'm like, my races could have went so much better. Like, I wouldn't have to be in bed at 6 p.m. after the long run because I just have no energy and can't keep my eyes open. And yeah, it's true. Like, after 15, 20 mile run, it's not like you're going to feel like super fresh, but there's a difference between feeling a little tired, maybe wanting to go to bed a little bit earlier. Maybe you do need a 15 minute nap in the afternoon but it shouldn't be like, I'm going to be on the couch the rest of the day. Like, don't talk to me, bring me food. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a huge difference. You should be able to go run errands. You should be able to go to your friend's cocktail party, you know, at whatever post COVID times, whatever yeah. it is, but you should, you know, it shouldn't be like, this is the only thing I'm capable of doing today. And that's yeah. a huge thing. I just, in general, whether it's after any one specific run or it only happens to you occasionally, go back. Are you eating? Are you fueling before your run? Are you fueling during your run? Are you hydrating enough? What's normal and what's not for you? Things change from day to day, but feeling like you're dying after a long run, especially when it's supposed to be easy effort, that is never normal. No, it's not. And it's, I like how you said, like, what's normal for you, because everyone is a little bit different. You know, there are guidelines when it comes to like sports, nutrition, what you should do before, during and after. But again, you are an individual and you may need a little bit more or you know what, maybe you're someone a little bit on the other side that you can do a little bit less, but you can, but it doesn't impact your performance and it doesn't impact your recovery. And that doesn't mean like your way is wrong or the other person's way is wrong. It's again, what is working best for you and helping you run your best, but also again, enjoy life too. There are some people who really struggle with overeating, that compulsive behavior, eating too much. Maybe they're eating a lot of very high sugar foods, like beyond the normal recommendations for what a runner might need in their carbohydrate intake. You know, where might a runner start in kind of assessing, you know, help? I can't stop eating or I can't stop eating this specific type of food. I think it might be something about getting some help as well. I think a lot of times you might think like, oh, there's that mental part when it comes to like weight loss, anorexia, but it can be on the other side as well. Why someone feels like they have no control over their food but it might be something about realizing, are you trying to, a lot of times restricting can make those feelings feel like I just need to eat this, or here's my day where I'm just going to eat everything, that all or nothing mindset. But then it might continue to be more all days than not. So it's talking about what can you do that isn't restricting yourself from that food? Because a lot of people might think, oh, I can't handle carbs. I just can't eat them, like need to keep them like out of my house type of thing. But that gives so much more power to that food versus if you're like, you know what, 
I can enjoy these carbs, but I want to do a better job at listening to my body, knowing that I can have them whenever I want, but but also that if I eat only eat carbs, I'm not going to feel my best and I'm not going to run my best either. I think when people hear restricting, they think it's months of restriction and that's when you start to see these boomerang binge behaviors, but it can be as simple as not eating breakfast when you needed to eat breakfast or just drinking black coffee when you should have had a meal. Like that is restricting. It is. I think sometimes you think of like the extreme cases when it comes to restricting, but it can look like any of that. It can be like, you know what? I can't have that cookie because I didn't run today. But then on your next day you run, you're like, oh, I finally get that cookie. But now you're out of control with it because you don't know when you're going to allow yourself to have it again versus I always like to have my clients, if they have a food, it's always it technically, or a lot of times it seems to be with sweets, like take the sweet, but sit down with it and actually like savor it, like enjoy every bite. Be like, Ooh, was that a good one? There was like extra chocolate kind of bite versus if you're like standing over the counter, like quickly eating it, you're like, I didn't taste that. Well, now I want another one type of thing. And sometimes that can make a little bit of a difference as well. It's also normal for how we eat to change depending on what we're training for, right? So I know we kind of said like you can't train for performance in a deficit if you're marathon training, like you cannot under eat. It's just going to backfire on you. But there are times when depending on what you're training for, you're going to eat more or your plate will be composed differently compared to when you are in a different period of training, like an off season or some sort of maintenance phase. Do you find that it's challenging for clients to switch between those phases? I think in the beginning it is, but I think after working with them, like they're really just in tune to their body and feeling like they can trust their body. And that if, you know, they're starting the off season, they might realize for that next week or two after that race, they're going to be more hungry. They might have more cravings for carbs, but then they're realizing things are going to settle out. They're going to be fully recovered, feeling better, and just able to listen to their body and understand that, you know what, my body isn't asking for as many carbs as it did when I was in heavy training because it's not utilizing them like it was before. Going back to Ali Ostrander, she said something recently, you know, do I want to be a runner or do I want to look like a runner? And I mean, that even in of itself is problematic because you say, oh, I want to look like a runner. Well, the kind of the popular, what a runner looks like is this very thin, this very leaned out, low body weight, low body fat person. And anybody who's been to any race can tell you that runners come in all shapes and sizes, that there is no one specific runner look. So we need to start talking about the fact that there is no one way a runner should look at all. I had someone recently make a comment like of my parents' friends when I was around them. They're like, oh, really? You run? Like, you don't really look like a runner. Like, they compared me to someone we both know and said, they're long, they're lean. Now they look like a runner. And I was just like, oh, I, to this day, think about that moment and regret not just standing up for myself, but standing up for every single runner that doesn't look like that quote unquote, typical runner. Because, you know, if you look at races, there are probably not as many runners that look like that elite that we think about and more runners that just look like an average everyday person. And there's nothing wrong with being average. (laughs) And that's another thing too, is that a lot of people who want to start running think they cannot start running until they look a certain way. So they think, oh, I have to lose weight so that I can start running, or I have to look a certain way before I can do this activity. Unless there's a medical reason why you are you know, not cleared by your position to run, just run. You don't have to look a certain way before you start running. No, and you don't need to run a certain pace and, and things like that, because I feel like Instagram makes it all about like paces sometimes. And it's like, you know what? Most of the people just run and don't post their pace. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but just to not feel like you have to look a certain way, run a certain way, just get outside or get on your treadmill and run because that is what is going to feel good to you that day. I feel like we have a long way to go in this topic in general, this conversation, but I do feel like it, we, it is something that's being talked about more often. And 
you know, unfortunately, it's being talked about more often because more runners are coming out and saying, hey, remember when I looked really, really thin and I was running really, really poorly? Yeah, that was a problem. Um, but it's like, how many times do we have to have runners go through this where they have to find through their own cycle of underfueling, injury, poor performance? I mean, some of those runners will never come out the other side. Underfueling can cause injuries so severe that you're never going to be able to achieve your performance goals after you come back. Mm -hmm. I think it's helping with a lot more of the elite athletes speaking out and hopefully going to like trickle down so that the collegiate athletes at that level can can seek help and realize like that's not normal. And again, hopefully by you know, it's sad that they have to come out and say like what was going on, but I think their stories really touch like so many people, especially like with Allie, when she came out and, you know, said what was going on, said she was um, receiving treatment, just all the support that she received. But I can only imagine how many people she, she reached, she had met or like had heard her story and thought like, this is me and I don't want to be like that and either got their own help or maybe were even able to make some changes on their own. I mean, thinking other women who've come forward, Mary Kane talked about her time under Alberta Salazar, Amelia Boone, really prominent ultra runner. She's being very open about her recovery from an eating disorder. But one of the most disheartening things is when you hear a lot of these elite runners um, come out, it's like state sanctioned under fueling, right? Like women who are going through college or elite programs, not all of them. Some of them are really great and very, very, very supportive, but there is still a mindset among certain coaches or programs that you have to be lighter to be faster. And that like, and it's hard when you're a young person, especially, and this is your livelihood or your college scholarship depends on it. You know, the power imbalance is very real. If somebody is telling you to lose weight, you know, and you do, and it ends up becoming an eating disorder, like that's a huge problem that we should all be responsible for stepping up and saying like, this is not okay. Right. And especially like with Mary, when, when it was going on with her being so far away from her family that her coaches were probably, you know, almost like her family in that time, you know, and taking care of them and probably putting a lot of trust in them because, you know, the big name that he is and feeling like he knows what he's doing. And I just need to kind of like do what he says or feeling like I can't stand up to you, which is unfortunate. And this is, this is the thing I think we're not talking about is that in the very, very short term, losing weight may make you faster. For a very brief window of time, you may lose weight and see your times get faster. But we're talking like a couple months and then the boomerang sets in, right? So um, initially why that weight loss is so seductive for a lot of runners, elite or otherwise, is they think, oh, I lost a little, a couple pounds hey, I ran faster than I had previously. And they think that by continuing to lose weight, they will become even faster, not understanding that it's just a matter of time until the underfueling actually catches up and starts causing those problems. And unfortunately, you can't see those, those problems that are going on internally. All you're seeing is like the number on the scale go down, and then you're seeing your running time go down too and connecting those together and not realizing what else could be going on, like what other damage you could be doing to your body. Very real damage. I made the, uh, the analogy in another conversation that you can't see your toenails growing, but you look down one day and you have to cut them. And because uh, it was it was talking about like how you get faster, right? You don't get faster every single day. It's just like it, you're physiologically, your body is doing behind the scenes work every single day, just a little bit. But that's how the damage happens too. It doesn't happen overnight. Like you don't skip dinner the next day you're injured. It happens to that time. And by the time you actually reach the point where you're experiencing these symptoms, it's time to actually address this in, as a serious medical condition. And get the help that you need and realize that continuing on this path isn't going to help you reach your goals. And could your season, could your running career, whether you're an elite or an average day runner, be cut short because of what you're doing to your body? As a dietitian, what is the number one best advice that you have to give to runners? When it comes to fueling your body, that especially for before, during, and after the run, 
eating more could benefit you more than trying to eat as little as possible. That's it. I think we can just cut this episode down to about 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This and that alone. And it's true. It's like, yeah, maybe you could run 10 miles off a banana, but would you feel better if you did like two pieces of toast and the banana and some peanut butter? And so just again, in all areas of life, getting away from like the less is more mindset. Just because you can get away with something doesn't mean you should be doing it especially if you know it's probably not good for you. 100%. Yes. And don't even say that on Instagram because people will come for you. <laughs> I don't know why it's so controversial. Like, please don't starve yourself. You know? <laughs> I, I did something that was like, just because you can run 15 miles without food or without fuel doesn't mean you should. And oh my gosh, it's always just like funny. And it doesn't even like bug me anymore. And it's like, you know what? It might work for you. And I'm not trying to say that's bad. But for most people, they can't run 15 miles without fuel, without feeling like crap on the run and then feeling terrible the rest of the day. And like, that's the thing is like, I don't even think there is anybody that it does work for. I just think there are some people who impacts less than others. You can't tell me that one person is going to run 15 miles just as well unfueled as they would fueled. Like that's impossible. I agree with that, but don't ask them. (laughs) We ask the science instead and the science provides. Yes. (laughs) Um, Amy, thank you so much for your time in this really important conversation. You know, I I feel like we covered kind of a a wide range of topics with under the umbrella of fueling, under fueling, feeling how to feel about your body. It's normal to feel uncomfortable sometimes part of being human is just kind of trying to figure out how to coexist with yourself, I feel. (laughs) But you are, as we've established, a sports dietitian. What services do you offer if somebody is looking for a dietitian to work with? I provide virtual coaching, whether that be ditching the diet mindset, learning to listen to your body, apply the practical fueling, and of course, all things nutrition, fueling related to running as well. It's just very, very, very important. And I know that I work with a good number of runners privately, my athletes who in our very first meeting, they say, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I was serious enough to need a run coach because I'm only running X miles per week, or I only want to train for this distance, or I've only been running for six months. But, you know, just like it goes, anybody can benefit from using a run coach. Anybody can benefit from becoming a sports dietitian if you have questions that you are unable to figure out yourself, if you find yourself in a situation where you're really just lost and unsure about how to feel your body correctly. Yes, 100%. And you are on Instagram as well. Tell us how to find you, follow you. I assume you have Instagram, you have your website with your business. Tell us how we can find you. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at the underscore running dietitian. Cause as we talked about, I'm a runner, I'm a dietitian, I'm both. And then my website is longrunnutrition.co if you want to check that out as well dot co domains unite (laughs) i know it's like is that okay to use the domain are people gonna find it and they're like oh yeah it's fine so (laughs) well all that's gonna be linked in the show notes um thank you amy so much for your time this is really a great conversation thank you so much for having me and for caring about getting this message out to runners everywhere I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.